it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at StockMarketPDF.com. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 221. And tonight, Andrew and I are going to do something a little different. We are going to talk about nominations for what we think are some of the best businesses in the market. So we're going to talk about some of the companies that we think are some of the best. And we'll kind of try to talk about what makes them great, why we think they're great, and you know, just kind of have some fun with it. So this is not investment advice. This is just two guys talking about stock stuff. So just kind of sit back and enjoy and we'll go ahead and start. So the first company up for a nomination or up for bid, if you will, uh, to go back to the price is right, we have Microsoft. So there shouldn't be any big surprise. So why do you think Microsoft might or might not be one of the best businesses out there? And I think we should be clear just from the onset, we're talking about best businesses doesn't mean a stock is particularly a buy right now, depending on what its price is. And I might have shares in some of these companies. As, Microsoft. as, as, as I might as well. <laughs> Microsoft being one. And so, you know, I wonder if when people think about Microsoft, if they're, if they haven't studied the company, if they really know all of the pieces behind it, because obviously you have Microsoft Windows, which has been around forever, seems mm-hmm. like, and you have the Xbox, which has been pretty strong in video games. But there's this whole other thing called the cloud, which I think if you're not kind of tuned into that industry, you might miss out on that idea and it's it's probably the most exciting thing in my opinion about Microsoft. Yeah, I would agree. So the cloud is really the thing that has really kind of driven the company to the heights that it's achieved over the last 4 or 5 years 
And prior to that, the company was kind of in the doldrums. And we were talking about this earlier, that innovation in companies, sometimes a company may peak and then it just kind of lags for a while. And that's kind of what happened to Microsoft. You know, Windows, like you said, is very much a legacy product. And the cloud via Azure, which is their product, is something that's newer to them. And it's really kind of driven the success of the company. And those returns that they've gotten over the last four or five years have just been ridiculous. And if you look at the company across all kinds of financial metrics, and we're not going to go into all that nitty gritty, it really shows you how strong that particular thing is and what it's really driving the company. And I guess, can we talk a little bit about kind of the cloud as an overview for those of you out there raising my hand that aren't super familiar with what that is? Yeah. thousand foot view, right? Yeah. So just in a nutshell to make it relatable, Netflix, why is Netflix possible? You know, if you remember back in the day before Netflix, you had to go to Blockbuster. And if you were a little deviant and you wanted to download something illegally, you could do that. But you would have to download the video on your computer, wait for it to download, and then you could watch it. So now with Netflix, you don't have to download the whole thing to your computer. You can just stream it and it sits on the cloud. So that's basically what we're talking about here is this migration from data being housed on a device in somebody's home to now being accessible anywhere. And so where Microsoft really stands out in that playing field is that they serve all of the biggest companies out there. It's something over 95% of the Fortune 500 utilizes Microsoft's offerings. And so they make a lot of what we take for granted on the internet today, on cell phones, on your computers. We all kind of take that for granted, but behind the scenes, the infrastructure and everything that's allowing that to show up as pixels or as data, it's all being done on cloud providers like Microsoft's Azure or Amazon's AWS. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And along with the benefits that you were just talking about, it's also allowed Microsoft to take one of its legacy products, the the office suite of products, which you know you and I can't live without with between Word and Excel, for example, can't live without it. And the cloud platform has allowed Microsoft to take those legacy products and put a new spin on them and offer them to people either on a subscription basis where they can access all of that on the cloud instead of having to download it on their computer. They can access it all through their phone, through their laptop, through, you know, their any kind of browser that they want. And so it just gives them more opportunities. And that's what I think makes Microsoft such a strong dominant business is that they've taken all these products and allowed themselves to really grow with those things, but offer different, I guess, visions or slices of things that they already do in different ways, which is just makes it even more attractive to people. And it also, because of the nature of how, you know, the beauty of, of software businesses in particular is that you make it once and then you sell it a million times, but you only have to pay for the making it once. And so all that other money that you make from it is profit. And so that's what really drives a company like Microsoft having this huge profits, these great cash flows, these great returns on, on capital and all these great metrics. And it also allows them to reinvest in themselves even more. And it just becomes, you know, like we say, it becomes, you know, a snowball and they can put more money into reinvesting, which helps improve the business. 
it really, some of the way that their segments are, they can really reinforce and help each other. And there could be a lot of potential cross-selling and there is, and it's just a natural fit to have this Microsoft solution or that Microsoft solution or even LinkedIn, you know, most people even know that they own LinkedIn, by the way. Right. So there's just all of these great products, services that Microsoft offers, great brand name. And the thing that I think is really critical, what makes cloud so exciting is that data is being generated so much more and not less. Mm-hmm. You could go back in the archives, our interview with Jeff from Visual Capitalist. He talked about that as one of the huge trends that he observed. Um, I think it was two years ago, maybe. Yeah. And if you look at a graph, you want to talk about like compounding, you look at the graph for how much data is being generated across the world. We're talking about digits and digits and digits that you know would just span across the screen and businesses are finding ways to use data to make more money and that has so many applications from cars generating data through their sensors to you know a couple stock market guys running algorithms to try to get an edge on what they're doing so many different ways not even to mention ai it's just there's so much potential and they are really at the forefront of being that support of the Fortune 500. And you know how can that be stopped? I think it would be really hard to see that train stop. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I think we would both agree that Microsoft is probably arguably one of the better businesses out there right now. So tell me what would be your next nominee then? And my next nominee would be Visa. Oh, confession, I do own Visa. So this is a company that I've owned for a little while now, and I'm very bullish on this uh, company. It's one of the, I guess, true dominant payment processor. It's not a processor, a payment providers out there. Uh, along with MasterCard. This company has been around since the 60s and it has been, it is easily one of the more dominant visual brands out there. There is probably not almost anybody on earth that doesn't know who Visa is. And it is a juggernaut of a company that just keeps chugging along. And like our friend Braden likes to say, it's one of those companies that they turn off the lights and they still make money. People don't have to go into work the next day and the company still makes money. It's just, it's just one of those businesses that if you look at what it does, how it does what it does, and you look at the financial performance of the company and it's just kind of jaw dropping, the margins, the revenue growth, all those things that they can generate over time, it's just staggering. It took you. Andy and Braden to finally convince me to take a good hard look at this company. I know. And I'm really glad you guys did. It's like a toll. I mean, it's a toll road for business. It really is. And I think when I looked at the business, what really stood out to me is that they actually do spend a lot of money to stay and keep their business going. And, And the way they do that is through incentives. And so you think about who kind of holds the keys to whether you're going to get a visa or MasterCard. It's really the banks. Mm -hmm. And so by betting on visa, you're betting on the banking system. And if you study the banking system enough, I think you realize that it's going to be around for a while. And there are reasons that it is set up the way it is. And there's a lot of money slashing around in there and a lot of strong banks in this country right now. And so once they have these relationships with these banks and they're basically doing the marketing for Visa, is it's like, hey, you know, come get your your JP Morgan card. Here's your Visa and it has a Visa on it. They don't need a lot of money to take their little tolls from every transaction that's being swiped. And more and more every day, people are using their cards more and cash is being used less. And I think to us, we kind of think of Visa as like, oh yeah, they're already everywhere. You'd be surprised where there's still a lot of room for them to grow, particularly internationally. Mm-hmm. And the way that they're growing here in the U.S. in the past several years has been really, really astounding as well. And it's not that big of a company, even though it's a big company on the stock market. They're really not that big in size. And so they could have a, a long way to run as well, just from a size perspective. Yeah, absolutely. They could. And a lot of people, when they think of Visa, they think of of credit cards or debit cards. And it might surprise you to know that they actually don't issue those cards. Like Andrew was saying, they all come from your bank or your financial provider, whoever that may be, whether it's Bank of America or whether it's PayPal. The Visa card that you get or Square or sorry, block. The Visa card that you get from those companies, those are all issued by Visa gives them the rights to issue those cards and use their payment rails to process payments. So when you have a Visa card and you pay your monthly or your you know, your balance every month on your Visa credit card, whoever, you know, the Bank of America Visa credit card, you're actually paying Bank of America 
Visa is allowing Bank of America to use their card to process payments with Nike and Dick's Sporting Goods and Walmart. And then you pay Bank of America your balance at the end of the month. Now, Visa makes money on all those transactions, and that's why it's such a beast of a business, along with MasterCard, is that they take a very, 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 very small piece of the pie of every transaction. And I was reading through their 10K a little while ago, and I believe they processed around 25 trillion transactions last year. And think about that, 25 trillion transactions. That's a mind-boggling number. So anyway, the reason why a company like this is because it has such a huge brand name, such a huge moat, and they've built up a, a system that allows them to enable payments and making them easier for both us, the consumer, as well as the people that we buy from. And how many times have you gone to a place and you're like, I want to give you my money. Can you please take it? And and it's so hard. And Visa, one of the things that they pride themselves on is making those payments easier for all of us. And that's really the basis of their business. And that's why I think it's one of the best businesses out there. I know Braden would love to hear me say that. So (laughs) It's very hard for another competitor to come in and replicate such a network that they have. I mean, virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. The network that Visa has or MasterCard. If Microsoft's a bet on business in the economy, Visa's a bet on the consumer. And it's really that simple. And so as the economy grows, the consumer gets well better and more well off. Visa naturally grows without having to do anything. It's fabulous. Yeah, it is fabulous. All right. So that's nominee number two is Visa. Andrew, who do you have for number three? Well, I have a little Easter egg. This is a company probably most people never heard of called Martin Marietta Materials. And you're shaking your head now. (laughs) You should have if if you read the e-letter issue. Of course I Um, have. But before that, before that, never heard of them. I had no (laughs) idea they existed. So I'm not going to talk about whether I think they're a buy or not today based on where they're priced, but I'll just give you the basics. If you're looking for like an infrastructure kind of play, I don't know who would be a better business than Martin Marietta. And there's several reasons why. So first, at the very basic level, they are just concrete. You know, They make concrete and asphalt. And so that doesn't sound very exciting. And it sounds like it could be very easily competed away because there's no brand names, right? Or like nobody really cares what what concrete goes in as long as it goes in. But the issue with those two things is that they're very, very heavy. And so the biggest cost is is to get those things moved around. And so what a company like Martin Marietta does is they mine the materials that make that concrete and asphalt, and then they will have those be close to where it needs to go. So whether that's paving a new highway or you know, making a new s- sidewalk, whatever it is, they will be being close to those things gives them a competitive advantage. Secondly, you have to have certain government approvals to enter certain mines. So once they have a mine locked up, it's very hard for somebody to kind of replicate that. And so by having lots of locations and being a leader in that you have a good moat against other competitors once you are established. And so they are one of the two that are big in their industry with a broad geographic footprint. And the big infrastructure bill is going to mean a lot of concrete and a lot of asphalt are going to be laid. And by the way, you got to lay asphalt all the time because you see the roads. They definitely need maintenance. And so that's just 
recurring revenue as that stuff needs to continue to be mined. And oh, by the way, there's a limit to that. You know, we have people who get really excited about limited supply. There's a limited supply of what's called aggregates, which is this material that goes into the concrete and the asphalt. That price has been going up steadily every year over the long term, like 5% a year. That's because we're running out of it. And so what better place to be than an owner of a scarce resource that's running out and we haven't found a replacement for it? It's sad, but you know, at the same time, it's necessary for all of the infrastructure that we have been needing to build, have to maintain, and are trying to build for the future. Yeah, that's a great point. And what more foundational that can a company be than something that's, you know, building, a, creating, helping create asphalt and, and cement that we use for the basis of just about everything in the United States. And as somebody you mentioned about the roads being needing to be repaired as someone from the Midwest who knows that we have two seasons here, winter and construction. So we understand here very well what you're talking about. And I was not familiar with the company prior to you telling me about it and reading about it. And I was blown away. You know that there's something like to exist, but you just never think about, you know, hey, this is something that I should invest in. And, you know, what kinds of, it's not exciting, you know, so it just doesn't really fall into the purview of what most people are going to talk about, about companies out there. And a company that can wisely put themselves in a position that will be close to where they're needed. And like you said, you know, the the biggest issue is going to be moving the product from point A to point B. And if they're already doing that, that just makes it so much easier for their customers. And if they're the market leader in such a, I guess, high construction, heavy duty kind of business, it's going to be really capital intensive for other people to come in and try to take market share from them. So they're going to have, like you said, a very, very wide moat because that's not something you know you can go into meekly <laughs> and just kind of tip your toes in and see if this is something you want to do. If you're going to, if you want to take on a Martin Marietta, you're going to have to lay down a lot of cash to take them on. So it sounds like an amazing business. It's exactly right. What you're saying about you can't, can't tiptoe in if you're a competitor. One last thing that I think is very interesting, and it kind of ties back into the Microsoft thing. They've said that one of the biggest uses of the aggregates is actually constructing data centers. Uh-huh. So we want to talk about what's been one of the greatest growth drivers in the last three, four, five years, data centers for the cloud. Yeah, yeah. That's great for Martin Marietta. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, that is. Uh, see, another bonus. Ding. Okay. 
All right. (laughs) Who you got next? uh, I got, so I'm going to go with Moody's. So this is a company that probably a lot of people are not familiar with. So not quite the Easter egg that uh, Martin Marietta was, but it's probably a little more under the radar of trodden companies. But Moody's is a company that deals in debt. So again, another super exciting company. But what they do is they have kind of two businesses and Moody's has been around for a long time. And they're one of the companies that help rate a company's debt. So when a company wants to raise money to build a data center, (laughs) they would go to a company like Moody's and have their financials analyzed. And then Moody's will give them a rating of how strong they think the company's financials are. And then that company can take that information and go out into the public and sell their debt to investors to buy and they can use their ratings to help generate interest, not only interest in the debt that they're offering, but also what kinds of security they can get, also what kinds of interest they can generate. In other words, what kind of debt payments they may have to pay to the people that are buying the debt. And so all these things kind of tie in together. And Moody's is one of the, there are three companies that do this, but Moody's is, I think, one of the better ones at doing this. And because the nature of how companies invest and especially when interest rates are lower, like they have been for the last 10, 12 years, this gives Moody's the opportunity to really use their products and their services to help companies like a Microsoft, a Visa, Martin Marietta go out and get financing to invest in their companies to grow faster. And this is one of the benefits of a company like Moody's is they have that ability. And because they have such a great reputation in the marketplace, people look to companies, they will just look and say, well, Moody says that so-and-so has a triple A rating or a triple B rating. And that's all people have to know sometimes to know the financial strength of the company they're talking about. So Moody's has that kind of, I guess, street red, street cred, <laughs> if you will, to say how strong a company is. Now, an interesting tidbit there right now, there are only two companies in the stock market that have triple A ratings. One is Microsoft, which we talked about earlier. The other one is Johnson and Johnson. And funnily, actually one more. Oh, there's Apple a third just now? recently. Got oh, okay. All right. Good. I, thank you. I did not know that. So there are now three companies. Companies, sadly to say, that have a higher credit rating than the U.S. government. So just let that hover over your head for a second. But anyway, Moody's is one of those companies that they help businesses raise money and also give a quick, easy way for investors to determine whether the debt is safe and secure and how financially strong a company may be. And they also have analytics businesses as well, so they can offer different kinds of analytics to companies to determine how great the company is. And then if you look at the financials of the company, it's ridiculous. Their margins are ridiculous, you know, really, really high. The returns on capital, they do a great job of reinvesting. They pay a dividend. They buy back a lot of shares. They have tons and tons and tons of gobs of cash flow. So it's, it's just one of those businesses. And by the way, uh, Warren Buffett is a shareholder of this company. So I think that kind of says it all. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> a, like a GPA for if you're a company mm-hmm. wanting to get debt, wanting to get financing, you got to yeah, have it. it. You got to have it. So the, I guess that's what makes them such a, a strong company. All right. So moving on. So number five, who do you got? 
I threw this one into the hat just to make it fun and interesting. Okay. I would go, I would say Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the stock price, just to be clear, I think the stock price needs to come down quite a lot for me personally to be comfortable buying a stock like Tesla. Not trying to say that it's not going to do well, you know, just that's my level of, of comfort. But I think it's, I think it's very clear that they are one of the best businesses that we've seen come out of the stock market in the last 10 years. If I look at what's made Apple so successful, I guess if we had time, we could have thrown them into, but we're running out of time. Apple kind of vertically integrated in a way that was very unique at the time where they built their own ecosystem. And I see Tesla doing a lot of that similar type of thing with their charging stations. They've built like rabid fans. The car itself is pretty cool and the people who drive it love it. So just like Apple had its own, you know, back in the day, they had their own cultists, basically. Tesla has its own as well. And the way, the the just engineering capability of the car, of the leader, Elon, and everything that the company's been able to do and how they've been able to make this gross story happen has been nothing of extraordinary. I think electric vehicles are the future. We don't know to what extent that is. And Tesla has carved out a brand for itself in this brand new market, which is electric vehicles that I don't think any company, I think they'll all have their own little brands, but they're not going to have a cult following like Tesla does. I would agree with that. I think they have certainly carved out a niche for themselves and they have certainly carved out a brand name and awareness and a recognition. There's no denying that. And they've created a market that wasn't there before. And you have to give them kudos for that. You know, as much as I've bashed Tesla through the years, you have to give them credit for that. And I will fully acknowledge that. And I think it's starting to make a profit, which is encouraging. I agree with you. The stock market price is kind of ridiculous, but that's a whole other conversation. It certainly has raving fans. There's no question about that. I guess the question I have about Tesla that I guess I would quibble a little bit is, My whole issue with Tesla has been that they're going to take over the entire car market. And I feel like it's more of a niche product simply. And I could be wrong. And, you know, and again, this is all coming from 30,000 feet. So, you know, I'm sure there's people that know way more about the company than I do. From an outsider, it looks like a company that I would put on the same luxury class level as a a BMW or Porsche or something of those levels. I don't think of it as, you know, a Hyundai or a Honda or a Ford Taurus where it's something that an everyday person is going to drive. And so I think unless until they make a car that's in that realm, I don't know that they're going to ever take over the auto industry. I feel like, and maybe this is a little bit like the Bitcoin conversation we had with with Simon, uh, Simone, sorry. It's a little bit like the Bitcoin maxis is, you know, maybe the Tesla cult has got everybody believing that they're going to dominate the car market. And they certainly have in that Ford, GM, Toyota, Volkswagen, every large auto manufacturer, they're all chasing Tesla in electric vehicles. There's no denying that. But I guess I'm not sure where it fits, where they're going to end up fitting in the whole ecosystem of cars. And I guess that's what I struggle with. Yeah, so I guess the upsides and the downsides to having raving fans to such a religious extent that Tesla does is that the upside is you got some great customers. Downside is you have a stock price that's just as if Tesla's going to take over the whole world. And like Amazon. Is, 
like Amazon, like Amazon did. Mm-hmm. And that's just historically not worked out well. And so I think I agree with you with most of that. That's interesting. I agree with you. They've created, you know, there's a lot of things you can say that are very positive about the company. That's, I guess, my only concern about Tesla. But anyway, so you've got to drive one and just step on the gas pedal. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not a gas. I can't even call it a gas pedal anymore. Just, uh, just the, the pedal accelerator. Pedal the metal. <laughs> You'll be shocked. And, and then uh, you just hear it. the little fart noise as you like, whiz by. I thought he had to make that go away. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday I will I will get a chance to ride on one. Maybe. All right, folks. Well, with that, we're gonna wrap up our conversation for tonight. I would love to hear what you guys think of our nominations. Please let me know on Twitter or Facebook. And you can tell us what you think of our nominations for best businesses and you can nominate some of your own and we could have a conversation about that. I think that would be kind of interesting. For those of you who are not familiar with some of the metrics, ratios, ideas that we talked about. Uh, we have a website, einvestingforbeginners.com, that you can go and learn all of those things. And for those of you that want to search for specific things, we have this really cool search bar in the center. You can type in things like ROIC or price to earnings, and it'll take you to all these great articles that will help you learn more about all the stuff that Andrew and I are talking about in the show to help you further your knowledge about investing. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.